Welcome to episode 199 of the Energy Talks podcast. I'm climate and energy journalist Markham Hislop. Several weeks ago, the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, commonly known as NERC, released its Reliability Risk Priorities Report that described five risks, including energy policy for the first time, faced by North American power grids. So I'm going to be talking to Brian Slocum, who is NERC's Reliabilities Issues Steering Committee Chair and Senior Vice President and Chief Operating Officer at ITC Holdings Corporation, the largest independent electricity transmission company in the United States. Welcome to the interview, Brian. Yeah, thanks so much for having me today. I appreciate it. Well, Brian, uh, the power sector has been in I've done a lot of interviews about it recently because there are all kinds of concerns and issues that have arisen out of the transformation of the, the power grids in North America. Uh, my take on this is that the, you know, Canada is fairly stable. We've got basically 10 power grids. Each province has got its own for, for the most part. We are already at 84% uh, zero emission uh, generation. And we haven't had the same kind of uh, increase in demand from electricity electric cars and what have you that the U.S. has. We haven't had the same weather events that the U.S. have has had. But down in, in your neck of the woods, the it, my take is that the power sector is literally being transformed in real time. Uh, I've been had an interview, chance to interview other utility executives and so on. And what ha and that introduces a lot of risks in the U.S. sector. Is that a fair take on things? Yeah, a lot is changing in our industry for sure. I haven't thought about it in the context of comparing it to Canada, but certainly in the U.S., we have a lot changing on the generation side, on those inputs, and a lot coming and changing on, on the load side as well. And those things are coming at a grid that was designed uh, for, for what it was made for back when we designed it in, in the 20th century. And so I think that's the big change that's taking place. And we need to make sure that the grid of the future is prepared for those different inputs and different outputs. Right. And then there are a number of technologies that are that are being adopted that change how much electricity can be transmitted on the transmission lines. Uh, you Business models that utilities are being flattened. There's more, you know, prosumers that are adding electricity, all of these kinds of more storage. That's that's a new one. Uh, virtual power plants. And that's got to all of that new technology, new business models has got to complicate the situation where, you know, you just described. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that we pointed out in, in the risk report that we put together for NERC was a lot of the distributed energy resources. I think that's a, that's an issue that's akin to what you're talking about. And, and the fact that that's going to start more and more to have an impact on what we call the bulk electric system you know, on, on that transmission grid portion and, and the need to make sure that we have visibility into that and that we can collaborate. That's a big word that we had in our risk report was collaboration um, and that we have insight into what what those resources are doing and how they, they may impact the, the bigger grid. Um, and and how we can operate going forward with with knowing having that knowledge of what's going on there and, and incorporating that into our operations. So that's an example of a change versus just centralized generation that we can dispatch. Uh, we know where it's coming from. We know where it's going to. Um, and, and it's not that these things are impossible to uh, to overcome or to figure out, but it's definitely a, an example of a big change uh, that's coming in our industry. And that we're seeing more and more at, at the grid level. 
Before we get into a discussion of the report, maybe you could give us just a brief overview. I'm, most of our listeners, I assume, won't be familiar with NERC. So maybe you can just give us a brief overview of what NERC does. Yeah, NERC, uh, they're, they're, uh, the ERO is, is uh, another term that the, um, the Electric Liability Organization that was set up and established by FERC. It actually came out of the blackout of 2003, 20 years ago, is, is with the results of uh, NERC becoming that ERO. And they basically set industry standards. They're mandatory, enforceable, um, and work together with industry to create what those standards would be. Um, and, they, and they also provide guidance, technical expertise uh, as well. Um, and so that's at a high level, I guess that's that's what NERC does. Uh, they're, they're out there to, to set rules for the grid and make sure that we're all following those. Um, and, and then looking at what we can do uh, going forward to make sure those rules keep up with the pace of change that's going on in the industry. I think that's the big issue that industry and NERC together are wrestling with right now is a lot of change. And how do we make sure we keep up with that and stay ahead of and keep the grid reliable? I just want to make the point that NERC covers all of the continental United States, all of Canada, and the northern portion of Baja, California, in Mexico. So it, it serves about 400 million people, right? Yeah, it, uh, they, they cover a lot. Um, and it takes a lot of collaboration together. And, and, and there's a lot of different interests across that, that geographic territory. Um, in, in different uh, different companies that are participating, whether it be um, investor-owned utilities or munis and co-ops and customers, and, and they, they have to represent all those interests, but at the same time come up with things that are technically justifiable. Um, and, and so that's the balance that they have to, to take is, is keeping that, that input and inter in, interaction from all those groups, but at the same time using technically justified, here's what the rules should be, and they have a good basis for those. And then we all agree to follow those, uh, like, like I said, mandatory rules. Well, let's talk about the five risks. Now, the first one is energy policy. And uh, I was sitting on the, the, the press uh, panel for a U.S. Energy Association technical briefing. And we were talking, interviewing uh, four uh, uh, executives from regional transmission uh, organizations. We don't have those in Canada, but you do. You have a number of them. Lanny Nickel, who's a vice president of PJM, was talking about getting the balance between thermal and and renewables right because they have they have got utilities that are retiring thermal and and it, the system can't build enough renewables or other forms of generation quick enough to replace the thermal. And he said this, and there's a couple of times, you know, in really cold weather that where they've been caught short and they were just able to get import enough electricity from another another region, another RTO. Uh, so they got through it. But this whole, the, the you know, energy policy is, you know, encouraging uh, phase out of thermal and adoption of, of renewables. And it and that anecdote, I think, illustrates one of the challenges that NERC is talking about. Yeah, and I think that's what we we're trying to highlight in the report. To be honest, historically, NERC has tried to stay out of policy, stay technical, stay advisory, and not try to take a stance one way or the other on, you know, is, is renewables good or not? They're, they're not here to say one way or the other on that, but just technically, how can we make it happen? We purposely in this risk report brought up energy policy as an issue because what the, the risk committee said was, this can end up in impacting reliability. 
if we don't get the policy right, or at least collaborate on the policy. And the collaboration needs to take place from the federal level to the state level or from the federal level to the provincial level, so that we're all in sync with what those goals are and how we can make them happen and that we can work together on those. I think that was the main point of the energy policy discussion was that we have to have that collaboration. Uh, otherwise, we risk, no pun intended, but we risk have not getting this right. Um, the, the second part of your, your discussion there gets more into like the grid transformation, which was this was the second uh, risk profile. And I think there, and my take on this is we, we have to make sure that we cross this bridge from where we are today to where we're going tomorrow, from thermal over to renewables, maybe storage is part of that picture as well. I picture it like an Indiana, Indiana Jones movie. We can't, we're walking across this bridge, it's a little shaky maybe, but we can't cut that bridge until we get to the other side. And what I mean by that is we can't cut our ties to that thermal generation until we safely make it to the other side. And so I think that's one of the things that we have to think forward on uh, is making sure that we keep the thermal, and that was probably Lanny's point, we keep the thermal generation available, at least as a backup, until we know we're safely to the other side. Um, and, and I would be remiss if I didn't say that transmission is a big piece of enabling this, this transformation um, so that the resources, when the wind isn't blowing, or maybe the the, uh, the resources that are the, um, the, the water resources up in Canada aren't available. We have transmission to be able to, to bring resources from other regions. Let's talk about that a little bit, because I, I know I've seen some renewables uh, advocates arguing that more distributed, more DERs, distributed energy resources, would in fact uh, make it possible to have to not have to expand transmission as much as others argue. And what's your take? I mean, you're, you're, uh, work, you're an executive at a trans transmission company. So I imagine you're, you have a, a particular view of this. Yeah, I think transmission is an important piece even to enable those distributed energy resources uh, because there are gonna be times where wh wherever they're located, whether they're bulk system resources, say solar, for example, or they're distributed on homes, there are gonna be times where the sun is not shining in a given region. And you have to have the ability, I'll say backup power, but you have to have the ability to bring power from other resources in other regions. It could be solar in the neighboring region, it could be wind. Um, and, and so I, I think the transmission piece, it even enables distributed, I know the words sound like they're counter to one another, but it enables that distributed energy resource to be utilized, but also to have a backup um, so that we, because obviously today people are not going to be happy. Um, the, the, the renewable resources are great intermittent as they are, but people are not going to be happy with intermittent power. <laughs> and so we have to make sure that we have those lights on 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And, and transmission is the key to unlocking that future. What role does energy storage play? Because we've seen in the last few years, a big adoption of uh, batteries uh, into uh, the California system. Uh, ERCOT in Texas is adopting more of it. We're seeing new technologies come on board like zinc ion batteries, uh, flow batteries, uh, compressed air storage, all of those. It's in, And then we're talking about hydrogen as a, a multi-day or even a seasonal form of, uh, of storage. Uh, does is the are the advances in storage that are here and are coming 
uh, going to be play? What kind of a role will they play in increasing reliability? I think it's definitely part of our future. Um, for the here and now, it's more of that you know one day kind of. I mean, the, the duration is the issue. Um, and, and I think to be play a bigger part, the longer duration is what's needed. So that's that's the magic part uh, that I'm sure the technologies will advance. And then, you know, from from a greater grid perspective, I, I think our mindset is uh, from like a transmission system perspective. You think about storage in the same way they do in the natural gas industry. You have a, a, a big storage facility. If we can think of of storage on the transmission on the electricity side the same way you almost it's almost part of the transmission system and 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 you just have a big storage tank if you will for the electricity but but you do need to get it to the point where you can you can go over several days worth in order for it to um to be a, a big solution uh, uh this saturday i have to speak at a conference and uh, i sit on a panel uh, the talk is talking about vehicle to grid integration. And so I would be remiss if I didn't ask your opinion on that, uh, how valuable it might be and and how uh, EV batteries will play into this storage uh, issue. Well, I sit here in the Motor City. So if I didn't, if I didn't have an opinion on uh, electrification of uh, the transportation side of things, that would be odd. Uh, I, I think there is something to be said for uh, the potential that it provides, but there again, uh, we don't, it's not a, a big storage source, right? As far as long duration is concerned, but I think there can be a way that it can, it can help to solve for issues in a given day uh, where, where the vehicles can, um, you know, provide power back to the grid um, there's a lot of um, collaboration that has to take place uh, between consumers and the utilities, as well as the, the manufacturers of the vehicles uh, to get all of that uh, to work together. Uh, that's, that's a lot to, uh, to organize. And I think consumers, that's where the real magic is going to have to be figured out is whether or not consumers are willing to have their vehicle be controlled, if you will. Uh, by some external um, and, and whether the incentive is there for them to do that or not versus I just want to know my vehicle is fully charged in the morning. I don't want you discharging it and recharging it. I want to know I'm ready to go in the morning. So I think those are some things just that we'll have to work out with, with uh, whether or not the incentives are there for consumers to participate in that. Brian, uh, the third risk on your list is extreme events. And we've seen uh, the last couple of years, uh, heat in particular, uh, has been a big issue. This was a hot summer. Uh, we've seen, uh, again, California and Texas push to the, to the limits, other states as well. Uh, we're not seeing that uh, as much of that in Canada. Uh, but then, of course, we've had some wildfires as well, which has plagued uh, California. Uh, so... Are those the two extreme types of extreme events, weather and wildfire uh, or heat and wildfire, or are there others? There are others. Uh, I think winter storm uh, year, uh, Elliot, sorry, was was another example where the opposite of the heat issue, right? We had the cold snap uh, that went down into the, into the parts of Texas and in the south of the United States. And, and we saw that that was just as big of an issue, especially when it was widespread. And, and again, I think what we learned there was the importance of especially region to region transmission capability. 
Um, because there, even like state by state or province by province, you might assume you're going to get help from your neighbor. Well, this was broader than that, where the neighbor was in the same condition, whether it be cold or heat or wildfire issues. And, and having that broader regional transmission uh, is, a, is a piece that I think is coming to the forefront as being a solution to that problem where you, you're, you're li relying on your neighbor's neighbor <laughs> because your, your neighbor's needing that help as well. And so thinking more broadly, um, I, I think is going to be the solution to that, as well as looking at climate change adaptation and, and making sure that the standards that we're building things to today, it's a little separate from what was in the risk report, but that those standards are good for not only today, but for what we'll see 50 years from now as far as the, the weather impacts. Uh, the fourth uh, risk is security. And we've seen um, more and more attacks on uh, grid uh, digital security. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think the interesting thing in the risk report, and went all the way back to, we did a, um, a, a summit where we brought in experts and, and it's certainly true that, that people are, are trying to gain access to energy facilities, utility facilities. Our adversaries are out there knocking on the door, seeing if they can get in, right? And, and I think we've had a mindset towards prevention, prevention, prevention. We got to keep them from getting in. And, and one of the big things, um, it was Robert Lee from Dragos that, that mentioned this. He's like, that's good, but we also need to be focused on detection and then detecting whether some, when somebody has gotten in and then recovery. That's as important as well. Because even if we spend 100% of our resources on prevention, at some point, they're probably going to be successful getting in. And then we have to figure out how do we deter them from, from causing you know, bigger problems uh, than, than otherwise need to be if, if we can detect that and, and do things to, pre to prevent them from, from taking you know, further harmful action. So that was really interesting to me that, that we need to keep an eye on that piece as well and be as good at recovery um, you know, and, and keeping minimizing whatever the, the, the interruption disruption would be. Certainly prevention, yes, we're gonna be focused on that as well and sharing information between, uh, between entities so that we know uh, what's going on and what our adversaries are trying to do and prevent that. Uh, but also that we're really good at that, that detection and recovery. The final risk is one that I'm, I don't recognize, uh, critical infrastructure interdependencies. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, I think it kind of overlays the whole, it, even if you look at e any of the given risks, you, you can look at how they are. there's interdependencies between um, the whole energy transformation and the fact that we need to rely on natural gas for the time being. There's an interdependency between the electricity market and natural gas. There's interdependencies in, in emergency situations where we rely on voice and data communications. And so we make assumptions uh, that whoever the telcos are, they're going to be up and running in those emergency situations. And, and we need to make sure that we're working together with those uh, other other parts that are tangential to our industry uh, to make sure that we're not making assumptions that they don't know we're making um, and that we know that we can rely on each other in the day-to-day and -day the emergency situations or, or even in those situations where you know we're having an emergency uh, situation take place and and we need to be collaborating with and making sure that we're thinking forward on those dependencies that might even become the most critical dependency that we have. Um, it, it could even be a natural gas issue that causes a problem on the electricity system. 
And we need to be aware of that and working together with, and, and those are some of the things that are happening and need to continue that collaboration. So we make sure those interdependencies are known and understood. Well, Brian, thank you very much for this. Uh, we will look forward to NERC's uh, next report next year. And uh, it's this sounds like this is a an enormous challenge. There's coping with change, disruptive change is never easy. And this is uh, the power sector is uh, an industry that is kind of known for being cautious and conservative, as it should be, because the lights have to come on. And it has to, you know, power has to be provided at a at a reasonable cost, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, NERC is sort of, sort of at the, the center of the of that transformative change. So thank you very much. We really appreciate your insights today. Yeah, thanks for uh, taking the time and, uh, and and digging in on these issues. Appreciate it.